So in this episode of Bookable Space, we're joined by Nita Sweeney. Nita will be reading from and talking about two books, Depression Hates a Moving Target, How Running with My Dog Brought Me Back from the Brink, and Make Every Move a Meditation, Mindful Movement for Mental Health, Well-Being, and Insight. Nita, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm, I'm so excited to read and to chat with you. Just fun. And I'm so excited to be read too. I absolutely love it. It makes my day complete. So thank you for saying yes. Absolutely. So we jump right in. Sure. Wonderful. So first, what was it? How did you turn to running as a sort of therapy? Well, it was an accident. I was in a really dark place. I'll give you the very short version. I was suicidal. I have had chronic depression for years and I lost a whole bunch of people in an 11 month period of time and um, a favorite cat, my niece's cat. So it was just crazy. And I had, I was sofa bound. I don't know how else to say it. I was just stuck on the sofa. There may have been bonbons. And I saw the social media post of a high school friend who was just as not athletic as me and about the same size, same age. She said, call me crazy, but this running is getting to be fun. And after I got done thinking maybe we should do a wellness check on her, (laughs) I uh, looked up, it took me a while, a couple months, but I looked up the plan she was doing and I kept thinking, all right, I'm in therapy, I'm on meds. I haven't tried exercise. People have been telling me to do exercise and I've done, you know, things around the edges, but something about being able to leash up my dog, go out, you know, just from my front door and my, I probably had pink sweatpants on, but I went someplace where nobody could see me down this ravine. But to just be able to do that with my little kitchen timer myself, it felt very scary and also safe. It wasn't like I had to go to a gym. I didn't have to buy any equipment. I did that later. And um, that's how I started. And it stuck, which I like to tell people that they need to find something that sticks. Mm. So you have to find the thing that is your thing. Mine happens to be running. I, it turned out I love it. And I do it maybe compulsively. But it changed everything. So yeah, it was my friend is named Kim. And I probably owe her my life. And she had no idea. She was just posting about her little jog. No big deal. And she literally may have saved my life. Wow. Have you had a chance to tell her? Absolutely. Absolutely. We had a 5K. Her brother, sadly, who was another high school friend, died of brain cancer a couple years later. And she came up um, for this 5K they had before he died to raise money. And uh, you know, she and I had a real heart to heart and just gave her a hug and a copy of the book. And yeah. So yeah. Thank you, Kim. Always. Oh, how wonderful. And how empowering. And I also like that you said like the importance of finding your own thing, like whatever that thing is, because it might be running, it might be something else, but just like looking for that thing and finding it and sticking with it. I think it's such an empowering thing to, you know, to remind everyone of. So thank you so much for that. My pleasure, because that's what worked for me. I had to make it my own. Could we hear from the book, please? Sure. I was originally going to read from the prologue, but I think I'll read a little bit about what I just talked about. How about that? Wonderful. All right. So this is from chapter one, off the sofa and into the ravine. Five months before my 49th birthday, 
I slouched on the sofa in my pajamas, squinting at my laptop screen. A high school friend's social media post read, Call me crazy, but the running is getting to be fun. I remembered Kim riding horses in high school, but neither of us had been athletes then, and we certainly weren't now. I read on. She had begun an interval training plan to run three times a week. The website suggested alternating 60 seconds of jogging with 90 seconds of walking for a total of 20 minutes. 60 seconds sounded almost possible. But depression clung to me like a shroud. It was noon on a weekday. As usual, I'd just gotten up and hadn't showered in days. The simple act of walking Morgan, our yellow Labrador, around the block often proved too difficult. A few minutes into browsing Kim's interval running schedule, an extra long burst of hiccups reduced me to sobs. I cried until they passed, closed the laptop, and went back to bed. Still, her running posts nestled like seeds in the back of my consciousness. Later that week, posted, week one finished. Infected by her glee, I remembered the pleasure I'd had when I'd run short distances decades before. A seed sprouted. Around the same time, Fiona, a writer friend from London, also took up running. She loved buying trainers, sneakers. Her emails reminded me of my first trip to a running store decades earlier when I'd scoffed at the price tags to hide being intimidated by the options. Fiona also talked about how running felt and the glow after. She's younger than me, but not a youngster. That seed grew. Shortly before I saw Kim's post, I'd begun to have a recurring dream. My body gently rocked as I floated down the road through Griggs Reservoir, a wooded park along the Scioto River near our central Ohio home. My arms, bent at the elbows, swung by my sides. A breeze grazed my face. It felt like flying. The rhythm lulled me back to sleep when I woke from nightmares. There was no anxiety. I wasn't breathing heavily. Relaxed and happy, I was just moving through the bright green world. I was dreaming of running. Oh, how lovely. It it sounds like such an empowering journey and so it's also a personal and a special journey and I'm curious about that decision to write about this to share it with other people to help us and you know in that way um well and, and also what was that writing process like for you well I've been writing for many many years mostly kind of a journaling writing practice thing I have studied with a woman named Natalie Goldberg whose probably most famous book is writing down the bones And so I was in the practice of regularly recording things on paper, you know, things like downloading my brain. And I also have been doing National Novel Writing Month every year for years. I uh, got an MFA, done a memoir about my father. I worked on a memoir about my mother. I worked on all these different (laughs) books. But I never felt, it, it just never felt that I had the story that, made an impact. And so I was already kind of taking notes as all this was happening. I uh, very quickly found a website where you could record just sort of notes about any exercise activity. And so I would, after I'd go for a run, I'd write down, you know, what dogs we saw, how Morgan did, how far I went, uh, if it was hard or if it was, you know, all that kind of stuff, just sensory detail mostly. And 
somewhere along the process, other people started noticing the change before I did. And so I kind of thought I would write about middle-aged woman, you know, takes up running. And then eventually, this is no spoiler, I talk about this all the time, eventually I ran a marathon. And um, I've actually run several, but that was kind of the story was couched a marathon. And so that's what I thought, oh, middle-aged woman runs a marathon. But the more I talked to people and the more I edited it, the book, and the more I had feedback, I realized the real story was woman trying to save her life. And that's where it all clicked. Because I knew, I mean, I'm sure there's part of me that knew that, but it wasn't as conscious until I started seeing how much of it was on the page. I mean, it's really a running book. It's the journey of me going out the front door and running and then joining a group and those kinds of things. But the thread in there is about how my mental health changed over time and how I began to do things I'd been afraid to do and take challenges and, you know, face risks, um, face things. So yeah, it became a, just a, a journey. And, and so, so people ask, well, why did you share this story? And I just say, well, I'm a writer. I'm just a writer. And I happened to write about, you know, I'm my favorite subject. So I tend to write about myself, <laughs> which is very, that's what memoirs do, right? That's what memoir, memoirs do. And so this just happened to be a story that, as it turned out, resonated really, really deeply with the editor at Mango and has resonated with a lot of people. When it gets in the right hands, it's the, exactly the right book. Anybody who struggled with paranoia, anxiety, hypochondria, I mean, that's it's all in there. <laughs> it's all in there. And then, of course, depression. But yeah, so it's uh, it was just that it's just the thing I do. But I had to find the story inside the situation, inside the facts, because there's what happens, but there's what what happens means. And that's, especially when you're writing memoir, that's what's really important. What does this mean? What did you learn? What can other people learn from your experience, not just A, B, C, D, E? It sounds so powerful. Could we hear more, please? Sure, 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 sure. I will read the prologue. So I'm kind of doing this out of order, but the prologue is probably my favorite thing. And it's very short. And since we're mostly, I think, talking to, we're talking to some writers here, but readers too, it probably went through. 30 drafts and it's, I don't know, seven paragraphs. So just so you know, because because I knew that it was probably, it had to be very powerful. So this is the prologue. My mind was trying to kill me again. Who do you think you are? It growled as I squatted in a green porta potty four and a half miles into the Columbus Marathon. The sun shining on the white top bathed me in a gray light. The running partners I'd begun the race with that morning and trained with for the past four months had gone ahead without me. They would have stayed. I'd spent a mile convincing them to leave after I could no longer ignore my bowels. Alone in the fiberglass cubicle, trying to avoid sitting down, I shivered with loneliness as I finished my task. Mom, Dad, Jamie, all dead. My ever-faithful husband, my sister, and friends, all still very much alive, were on the course but miles away. Even the dog, my other regular running companion, was absent, at home, probably asleep. This left me in treacherous company with only my mind 
forever critical. Someone in the line outside knocked. I would have to carry my heavy heart across the pavement solo. I'm a runner, I whispered to my mind. Then I pulled up my panties, opened the door, and ran. Oh, Nita. You're right. It is quite powerful. I'm very proud of that page. Yeah. <laughs> it's just three quarters of a page. And I mean, I just, that's what, that was the, there were a couple of big moments, especially during the marathon, where it just felt like my mind was going to get me. I mean, it really was, I wasn't going to finish and it wasn't going to be physical. It was going to be my brain that kept me. And uh, so that becomes a big part of the story. That and and whether you're a real runner or not, those are the two the two things. Is am I going to be able to do this thing? And am I a real runner now? How about now? Okay, what about now? So oh, wow. that's all through there too. And I think it's also making me think of you know how you, you just never know what someone else is going through or grappling with or how you might be able to make things better for someone, even if it's just saying, hey, do you want to run together or, um, you know, good job or, or you know, well done or something like that. Those things that can kind of come so naturally, but sometimes we kind of hold back and, and you know, don't say them for whatever reason. And how far is something like that? Just, just saying, hey, do you want to listen? You know, I can listen to you. Do you want to talk about it? Wow. So, you know, so you've given us all things that we can do. And um, to help ourselves and other people to kind of make it through the day. So it's like you're just giving and giving. So thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> and you're welcome. But thank you. That was, that's really, that, I hadn't thought of it that way, but you're right. Oh, so I have my final question. I've been telling myself I can only do three questions. And then I sneak one in about um, like where we can <laughs> buy the book. But I don't feel, I feel like that's more of a comment than a question. <laughs> so my final question question is, from running to mindful movement, what led you to that transition? And do they do the same things for the mind and the body? There's a lot of overlap in the mental, um, it's physical, emotional, cognitive um, benefits that come from both exercise and meditation. And that's, you know, that's the, that's the, the next book is about meditation, but I had actually been meditating for many, many years before I started running. And it, it, it's not that it wasn't enough. There was just something about the physical benefits that was like rocket fuel for my mental health. So there's tons of overlap. And what happened, and I didn't, I didn't talk about it as much in Depression Hates Moving Target because it's really a mental health book. But what happened was I pretty quickly realized that I could meditate while I was running, that I almost was anyway, because I tend to pick, I tend to choose maybe a visual object to focus on, like a particular color, or I have a um, congenital defect in my ankle. And so sometimes I have sensations in my ankle. So I might notice that, make that my object of meditation and just bring myself back. And it helps with boredom. Running can be really boring. It also helps with pain management because usually when you have pain when you're running, you're not injuring yourself. It's just hard. Running can be hard, especially if you do long distances. And so being able to say, oh, look, there's pain. Hey, come run with me, pain. And kind of befriending it as opposed to trying to push it away or distract yourself 
or getting curious. What is pain? What, what, what does pain really feel like? Because often we get so anxious about pain that we don't even know what it actually is. So the meditation practice, it dovetails very nicely with, for me, running, but really any kind of exercise. I'm in doing the next book. I did a ton of um, research and kind of talked to a bunch of people who are meditators about what they do in their exercise. And I have people who play, who meditate while they're playing laser tag, disc golf, Zumba, ice skating, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, um, physical therapy exercise. I mean, you name it, sailing. I couldn't believe that just the variety, pickleball, you know, everything. So it was very cool to, to, to find out that, that, I mean, I was pretty sure, I mean, I definitely did not make this up. This has mm. been centuries of, you know, 2000 years, whatever of, uh, of practice, but to have people just affirm that they were already doing this too. And they were using similar language, similar techniques that, that just was very uh, helpful in my courage in stepping forward with the next book. Oh, wow. So speaking of which, I'm going to leave this to you for our final reading, and you could read from either book. I'll just read the very short introduction to Make Every Move Meditation, which is the, the next book. So introduction. On a bright Saturday morning, as I ran along the Olentangy Trail with three other members of our PACE group, the conversation turned to meditation. It might as easily have turned to which Central Ohio restaurant we would go to for breakfast, upcoming races, or last week's Buckeye football game. Instead, a woman asked how I practice. I do sitting meditation, I said, but I also meditate while I run. I was meditating just now. That's a thing, another woman asked. It is for me. Today, I'm noticing my left foot. When my mind wanders, I gently bring it back. The whole run? Well, most of it. How long can you think about your foot? Isn't that boring? Well, I don't think about my foot. I experience it. I notice the sensation of my foot hitting the ground, observe any changes, pay attention to how my foot feels in my shoe. When I pay close attention, it's not boring at all. Silence. Eventually, someone brought up breakfast. But a few weeks later, the woman who initially asked approached me. I tried your left foot meditation. It's interesting. I rarely pay attention to my feet. Since I tried it, I feel more relaxed when I run. She thanked me. That brief conversation led to this book. The woman, like many other people I've talked to, found the notion of movement meditation odd, but also appealing. Movement meditation was worth explaining and exploring. What I didn't tell my sister runner was that this path of noticing, whether it be her left foot, her breath, or her thinking, is about much more than physical activity. Meditation might make her a better runner or make someone else a better golfer, tennis player, dancer, or weightlifter, but more importantly, consistent practice could lead her to insight, the kind that can enhance daily life. It might even free her from suffering, a pain she might not even know she has. If one person finds that, it will be worth any effort. Oh, how lovely. I'm definitely going to try it the next time I'm roller skating. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes, that's absolutely perfect. Just pick one thing. It can be the like the shifting of your weight as you go from kind of, you know, this foot forward, this foot forward, just something really simple. And then when your mind wanders, which it will, that's your mind's job is to think thoughts. Right. Just remember and very gently bring it back. Oh, and report back. Let me know. 
I'll let you know how it goes. Usually I'm focusing on whether or not I'm going to fall. Well, yeah, that's good too. <laughs> that good, that's good too. We don't want you because I have, a, there's actually a second section in the book called safety first. So <laughs> I'm glad you thought about those of us who are um, accident prone. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. It can be. Yeah. <laughs> so where can we find the books? The best place to go is nitasweeney.com because you can find all the locations. But I love this. My editor said to respond to that question with wherever fine books are sold. So you can find my books wherever fine books are sold. But seriously, any place that you like to buy books, it's on Amazon, it's on bookshop.org, it's on you know, Barnes and Noble, your indie bookstore can order it because it's distributed through Ingram. So they, any bookstore can order it. Your library can order it. And that's fine too. I love when it's in libraries. There will be an audiobook. It's not out yet, but the ebook will be out uh, whenever it's launched. It's looking like the middle of September now. So, Oh, that's wonderful. Nita, thank you so much. Thank you for your readings, for your humor, for sharing information and for spending time with us. I really appreciate you being our guest. Thank you. And thank you for this podcast. It's such a great idea. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure.